Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. Good morning. Wow. <laughs> see how it is. All right, fine. Jay, got any more coffee? There's more coffee out there. So let me ask you a question. Uh, don't answer it all. Just think. Just think about this. Um, so if you had to guess, um, like the percentage of people who make up what I'm going to call a gospel-focused church, it's a church that preaches the gospel, we believe that, um, that salvation comes through faith in Christ and Christ alone, you know, that kind of church, preaches the Bible. So the percentage of people who in that church would be unbelievers, what percentage, you can just think about it, um, would be unbelievers. Then what percentage of people would be um, true believers, I'll call true believers, and then the other percentage that would be believers? You know, not really sure. Just kind of think about it. So I've been raised in a church, <clears throat> born on Saturday, church on Sunday. I've been around a lot of churches over the years. Uh, just ministry has allowed me, different kinds of ministry I've done, has allowed me to be around a bunch of different kind of churches. Uh, we've talked about this in staff meeting when we're down in Fremont, the three campuses getting together as pastors, and we've kind of talked about these things, and um, I would probably think most of the guys might think along the same lines as I do, but here's a pie chart of what that would look like. So, again, this is me. You, you can disagree with me, that's fine. But I would say about 10% of the people I would love it to be more, but probably about 10% of the people who attend a church like ours, and maybe even Grace Point itself, are what we would call, or a person would say, a non or unbeliever, non believer. And that is this it's a person who, you know, they'll come to church, but they're coming to church maybe to please their spouse or their kids or their parents. Um, they're not really believing what they're hearing. If somebody outside the church, they're at work or neighbors, and somebody kind of pushes them on the whole thing, hey, I heard you go to church. They'll be like, yeah, you know, I, I go to church. I don't really believe it. And when you look at their life, the choices that they make, they would show that they, um, you know, they make choices based on what they think or what the world tells them to do. And, and so you can just kind of see it's not according to what the Bible would say, about 10%. Then you have uh, true believers and uh, you might think this is shocking, but I think about 25% uh, in any church that's preaching the gospel are what I would call true believers. And so these are the people that you can tell by kind of like their life choices. So they're here at church because they want to be. They, they're excited about coming and worshiping with the church family. They're excited to learn what God wants to teach them through their time um, in church and Bible studies, Sunday mornings, they serve. If somebody were to ask them, hey, do you go to church? Oh, yeah, yeah, I go to church. you believe stuff? Oh, yeah, I believe it completely. So are you like a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I place my faith in Christ. And, you know, it's that kind of thing. But when you look at their life, the, the choices that they're making for their life is kind of based off of what the Bible says. And, I mean, not perfect. Nobody is. But they kind of make choices based off of what the Bible says says and how they should do marriage, how they should do relationships and work and, and all that kind of stuff. But then there's a 65% that, again, are kind of believers question mark. And what I mean by that is this. They would say they're Christians, um, they would, and they'd probably use the word Christian, um, and they come to church here sometimes, not always. They may or may not serve even. If they're out and about and somebody, a non-Christian person comes up to them, a non-believer comes up to them and asks them about, 
you know, hey, that's outside church. They might even say, yeah, I go to church, but they're, they're, not, they're going to kind of hem and haw about what they believe, what they don't believe, and whether Jesus, you know, is the way to heaven or not. They may believe that all ways get to God, whatever. When you look at their life decisions, and again, I'm not saying we're supposed to go around, you know, looking at everybody in their decision. I'm just trying to get you guys to kind of think through this. When you look at their life decisions, the same decisions that the unbelievers are making and the same decisions that the believers are having to make, true believers, they're also making, but, man, you kind of like, it doesn't seem like you're making those according to what the Bible would say. You know, it seems like you're making it more like... So we don't really know. We, those people, it's kind of hard to tell. Again, not that it's up to me to decide whether someone's saved or you to be, you know, determining whether someone is saved or not. But if God were to say, hey, who do you think? You know, that's kind of how I, I look at it. And again, it's, it's hard to, to know. It's, we don't know a person's heart. But we've been learning, as we've been going through the seven churches of Revelation, we've been learning that Jesus does know. And he keeps on telling us that he knows. That, that the word know there actually means to know without a doubt. I mean, he knows for sure who are his followers and who's not. In fact, today we're going to be reminded that he, only he knows for sure who are truly his followers. Because he's the one who gives the spiritual life necessary to a person to become a true believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, I think it's page 12, 27, if you're using the Bibles there in the seats that we provide for you. And Jesus is going to be talking to another church. It's the church of Sardis. Uh, he's letting him know that he knows where they stand with him. And I'm just going to give you a little uh, hint. He looks at them and he says, you're spiritually dead. Man, how would you like to have Jesus tell our church, you're spiritually dead. No spiritual life in you. How can a group of people who are known to be a church be spiritually dead? I mean, they're doing the stuff that would, Christians would do, but they're spiritually dead. Well, let's see what Jesus has to say. So he says this, verse 1, chapter 3. We're we'll only looking at six verses today. Uh, not that that means anything. Uh, it could go for two hours, whatever. But to the angel, or the pastor of the church, and Sardis write, now, uh, every church, he says, to write, and we haven't really talked about this, but that word there is an aorist imperative. So you guys learn, you don't just learn the Bible from me. You, you learn English, grammar, and you're welcome. And so there's this aorist imperative. It means to be urgent. Get this on paper, get this sent out, and make sure the churches are reading this. And for us today, we get to read it as well. He says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds that you have a name that you are alive. In other words, you wear the name Christian. You're, you, you represent yourself as a Christ one, someone who's spiritually alive, but you are dead. You're spiritually dead. They're not believers. He says, Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. They're not empowered by God, therefore they're not approved by God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it. The, the things that they've received and heard, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. So there are, there's a few 
true believers here. And they know that by, of course, their obedience. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes, so this true believer who's showing it through their obedience, will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Go to the next And He who has an ear, especially, of course, those who are true believers, because we've talked about in previous churches that the person who has the ear means the person who is spiritually alive, who can understand what Jesus is saying. Let him hear and obey what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's the pie chart uh, for the church at Sardis. The vast majority of people who attend this church in Sardis are unbelievers. I'm not saying it. Jesus is saying it. But there are a few believers. This is like the, the first zombie church of Sardis. This is the, the walking dead. So how can Jesus call these people spiritually dead? How does Jesus know whether these people are truly saved, truly followers of Jesus Christ? Well, because of his description. And mainly the first part of his description, and, and that's the... Our computer, by the way, is like bogging down. So, uh, boom, there it is. So, sometimes it's not going to quite get there. Be patient. So, he says that he is the one who has the seven spirits of God. And maybe a better uh, translation would be sevenfold spirit, because there's only one Holy Spirit. Okay? There's not a bunch of Holy Spirits running around. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And so, there's only one Holy Spirit. That word seven is used symbolically throughout the Old Testament, meaning uh, uh, has a sense of completeness, of perfection, of fullness. And so in context here, he's saying that it's the whole, he has the Holy Spirit, the complete, the perfect, the full God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus has him. Okay? So we know from the gospel that Jesus said that when he, would, when he left, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. We know from the Bible that when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ and he asks God to forgive them of their sins, that God comes in, forgives them, which means the Holy Spirit comes into their life and uh, cleans them out in that sense and gives their dead spirit spiritual life. And so Jesus knows who's made that decision, who hasn't. It's kind of a logical thing here, right? So he knows who he's given the Spirit to and who he hasn't given the Spirit to. He knows who's playing the game and who's not playing the game. He also says here that he has the seven stars. We know from Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, that the stars are the angels, which are the pastors of the church, the messengers. Angel just meaning messenger at this point. And so it's the pastors who answer to Jesus Christ, the head of the church, for the spiritual health of the church. Um, the temptation then for uh, pastors is to be people pleasers, right? I mean, Jason and I would love it. We're sitting out in the hall after we had somebody do this to me after 9 o'clock. Sitting out in the hall, I'm like, oh, Harold, man, that was, that message was beautiful. And then I just feel, thank you. I actually know that. <laughs> but thanks for telling me. You know, and then they come up to Jason. That's such a great... No, I'm sorry. Right. No, they would do this. Jason does not... I'm sorry. That's just not nice at all. That's just... Yeah, we love Jason. Let's give Jason a hand. All right, Jason. 
That was really not nice of me, but that was funny as all get out. <laughs> and so we want to be people pleasers. But Paul in 1 Thessalonians says this about him and his team, and really it's all for all believers, but it's, he speak in context about him and his, his team. He says, But just as we have been approved or appointed by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but pleasing God who examines our hearts. And so the pastor of this church, the pastor of the other churches, Jason and I, as we're pastors of this church, we have a responsibility for you all. We have a spiritual responsibility for you. We will stand before God one of these days for the health of this church, for your spiritual health, for my spiritual health as well. Your spiritual health will stand before God one of these days. And just FYI, we take that seriously. We don't ever want to receive a letter from Jesus that says, hey, your church is spiritually dead. And so we want to encourage you guys. We want to teach you God's word. That we want to help you as we can. There's going to be times where we're going to maybe have a, a challenging conversation with you and you're not going to like us. And I'm sorry, but I love you too much. Jason loves you guys too much to let you go down a road that you shouldn't be going down. And so... You might be upset with us. That's fine, because we're going to stand before Jesus one of these days. And I would rather hear him, hear him say, good job, than hear him say, you know, you, you left your church spiritually dead. And so I just kind of throw that out. You guys are all like, whoa, early. All got serious. But again, we don't want Grace Point to be known as a, to have a, a name that you are alive, but you are spiritually dead, which is the description that he gives the church here. He says, you have a name that you're alive. That, that word name actually means reputation. So they were known in the community as being a Christian church. That they, they didn't worship Apollo. They didn't worship Sybil. They didn't worship all these different strange gods that they had back then. That they worshiped this guy named Jesus. So they were known to have that reputation. And, and with that, then they would also, people would assume, well, then they have that God in their life. But Jesus is saying, the God that's in, supposedly in your life, no, you're, you're dead. You are morally and spiritually deficient. There's no Holy Spirit at work within your church, in your life or in your church. There's no spiritual power. There's no spiritual impact. They are doing nothing for God's sake in Sardis. Which is interesting because Jesus doesn't reference any of their issues. Like other churches had issues, right? Because some of them were doing life God's way and they were being pressured by the community to not. Some of them were dealing with false teaching in their church and they needed to put it... This one is just like, no, you guys are actually dead. That's the only thing you need to work on. You need to find some, some life in you. So they're doing these churchy things, but they're spiritually dead. They're doing the religious stuff, children's ministry, music, preaching, evidently greeting people at the door, maybe even, maybe even helping people outside the church, but they're spiritually dead. It's very similar to what Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew. He says that, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, those who do religious things but have no spiritual life, hypocrites. Yikes, we don't like that word, right? We don't like to be called a hypocrite. But Jesus is using it. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men. Again, we can't see people's hearts. But inwardly, 
because he can, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Because Jesus can see into people's hearts. He can see into people's motivations. These aren't believers acting like unbelievers. These are unbelievers acting like believers for whatever reason. But not making any impact. And not even in relationship with God. So his evaluation of them is, your deeds, your religious activity, have not been completed in the sight of God. In other words, they're not empowered by God, therefore they're not approved by God. So they're just, on Sunday morning... Wasting their time, just hanging out, not being empowered by God. So they're doing all this stuff. Others would consider them religious, but Jesus says it's worthless. They're not even believers who are at work in this church. And so <clears throat> Jesus warns the few believers that are there. We don't know how big the church was. We don't know how many of the few, but we know But the Greek word for few is few. And so there's a few. A handful, not many. And so he, he warns them or he commands them to do some things. And it's, there's five things that he says for them to do. He wants them to wake up. He wants them to strengthen. He wants them to remember. He wants them to keep. And he wants them to repent. And so this morning, as we're looking at our own lives and we're looking at our church, if your spiritual life is kind of waning and you're, you're kind of... Um, feeling like, you know, lethargic and just, man, my spiritual life isn't going in a direction that I, I really want it to go and God wants it to go, there's going to be five things. We don't usually talk about five things to a happy life, but we're doing five things <clears throat> to a happy life. And for our church to, to keep doing these things, because I'm confident we are doing these things, but for us to continue to do these things in our church, and if you don't attend our church, you go to another church and this is for you to bring into the, that church. And so there's five things. The first one is to wake up. Now, I'm, I'm going to continue to give you some English lessons here, some grammar. This is a present imperative. And if you've been at a church for any length of time, you hate the present imperative because I keep on bringing it up because almost every command that God gives us is a present imperative. What that means is <clears throat> that it's continually. It's a lifestyle. It's Day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, no, what, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what other people may think of it, no matter what other people are actually doing in their lives, you keep doing these things. And in this case, it's wake up. Be aware. Have your head on a swivel. Be mentally alert. It's interesting, Sardis... I didn't do a little description of Sardis today, but I'll give you this one little tidbit. Um, Besides the fact that it was a wealthy town and it was really well known before, but its reputation was waning, it was becoming a dying city, it was also well known to be an, um, an undefeatable city. It was up on a mountain, and it was sheer cliff, and so nobody could get to it. And so nobody could ever defeat the city. And so everybody kind of got lazy, right? And nobody's going to get up here. Nobody can attack us. Until one day, one of the Sardinians, he lost his helmet and fell down one of the crevices in the side of the mountain, and he climbed down. The, they had been surrounded at this time. I think it was Alexander the Great. He had surrounded them. <clears throat> and so one of the guys of his army was looking up and seeing this guy climb down. He's like, actually, we can get in. So he calls his guys together, and they actually scale up and they get into the city and they take out the city because the soldiers were sleeping 
Nobody could get to them, right? They weren't alert. They needed to wake up. Funny thing is, 150 years later, the same thing happened to Sardis. They didn't learn their lesson. And so Jesus is kind of like saying, hey, you guys know your own history, so you guys need to wake up. The few believers needed to stop sleeping to understand what's going on around them. And I just want to say, I'm so glad for our leadership team, the people that lead our ministries. And, you know, Jason and I were only paid ones yet. And uh, possibly another one. Um, But everybody else is volunteer. But I'm so thankful for them because they're alert. They're aware. We, we spend time praying together. We, talk, we spend time talking through things and changes that may or may not need to be made so that we can be impacting our community for Christ. And So I'm just so thankful for them. We, we want a church that's awake. So we as leaders need to be awake. And once they're awake, then they need to strengthen the things that remain. This is an aorist imperative. This is a, 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 a command of urgency. This has to happen now. This church, Sardis, is, is at a deathbed. It, you, you know, you probably hear the... Slowing down. Ready to be completely dead. This has to happen. And so you need to strengthen, which means it has this idea of inwardly firmer commitments. It's to reestablish... The things that remain. Well, what, what are the things that remain? The, the word remain means part of a whole. Well, there's a few believers in this church. So I think he's talking about the believers. They need to, they need to be straight. Excuse me, they need to be strengthened. I'm not even getting emotional. That was just a weird thing to happen. They, they, they need to be strengthened. They need to come together. They need to ask Jesus to, to give them the Holy Spirit to empower them, to fill them. Again, they already have them, right? Because they're believers, but to, to have him empower them and, and motivate them and, and move them because they're going to have to do some things here that are going to be kind of scary. He says, because these things are about to die. He's not saying you're going to lose your salvation. He's not saying that they're going to die physically. No, the church is going to die out. The church is not going to be having impact anymore. It's going to be Boof, boof. Boof, boof. Nothing. And so it's urgent. We need to strengthen things that remain. And part of that then is to remember what you have heard and received. This is a present imperative. So no matter what you're going through, day in, day out, no matter if someone is doing something different than you, if someone's upset with you for doing this, whatever, whatever your excuse might be, you need to remember. And remember means to keep going back to. Keep going back to what you heard and received. Well, what have they heard? Well, they've heard um, or received. First of all, what have they received? They've received the gospel. They've received the Great Commission to go with that gospel and take it out to the world around them, to Sardis, starting in Sardis and moving out from there. And, and they've received the great command to love God and love others. <clears throat> they need to keep going back to that. Keep going back to that. Things get difficult, keep going back to that. And they need to go back to what they've heard. What have they heard? Everything they've been taught. The Old Testament they've been taught. 
the, the Gospels they've been taught. They may even be reading some of these by now. The Apostles' letters that they are sending, which we now have what we call the Bible. They had those things coming in, and they were supposed to read those things and understand those things and obey those things. <clears throat> Would you guys be upset with me if I remind you of something? Because sometimes... Uh, Jason and I might upset you, and I just want to make sure we're okay if I upset you. Um, I'm going to summarize what he's talking about here with four things. Anybody know where I'm going with this? If you've been here at any length of time, you've heard me talk about four things that every true believer does in their life. How do I know this? Because the Bible commands and says that true believers will be doing these things. And so... Here are the four things. If you're first time with us, this is new to you. Write these things down. Again, this is not me. This is just what Scripture would say. First of all, they needed to get back. Keep going back to, no matter how difficult life was getting, keep going back to daily time with God and His Word and prayer. Daily time with God and His Word and prayer. How many of you guys ate breakfast this morning? Well, some of you guys need to get a life. You didn't eat breakfast this morning? What in the world are you doing? Eat breakfast. I was, last week I was preaching hangry, right? Because I was, didn't have my breakfast. You're going to be in God's word, eating from his word. Learning from him. And God's word says true believers will do that. Weekly connection, worship with God's family and church. Weekly, Yeah. That's what it says in Acts. They were meeting weekly. Actually, they met during the week too. You meet weekly. Well, pastor, if I do that, I I can't get things done at my house. I can't get things done in my yard. I can't get things done at work. Did did Jesus not say, don't worry about your needs? Did Jesus not say, Matthew 6.33, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all your needs will be met? Did Jesus not say that? Okay, moving on. Three, serving God's family. His church, your church, their church. And sharing Jesus with unbelievers. Praying for him. Expressing the fact that you know who he is. Expressing the fact that you commit your life to him. Expressing the fact that he does things in your life. Remember, keep going back to present imperative. Day in, day out. Also, then keep it. So these all build on each other. You can't have one without the other. It's all building together. I love the number five, by the way. This is, this is really awesome for me. It's a present imperative. So you need to continually obey. You need to continually observe the things that you've heard and received. So it's kind of tying these two together. So you don't just talk about the mission and the teaching you know, you don't just get together with some people and be like, yeah, so cool. You know, the Bible says to do this and the Bible says to do that and blah, blah, blah. No, you do it. You keep it. You observe it. Day in and day out. You don't, you don't remember the good old days. You're doing the good old days. This church had the good old days that they were remembering. The problem is, in the me- me- uh, meantime, they were not coming to Christ. <laughs> and their whole church, pretty much, was filled with people who had not placed their faith in Christ. Day in, day out, no matter the circumstances, we need to be waking up 
We need to be remembering. We need to be obeying and keeping it. And then he says, you need to have a heart of repentance. And repentance is so simple. It's, well, it's simple. It's hard to do, but it's simple to explain. <laughs> You're going in this direction. God's like, whoop, that's the wrong direction. Thank you. And you repent. You turn. You just say, okay, that's the wrong way. I need to go in this direction. So if any of this you're going, oh man, you know, now you mentioned that, Harold, and I'm realizing I'm not, okay, well then stop, turn, and do. That's what repenting is, and that's what they needed to do. They'd fallen asleep, they needed to wake up. They were not taking leadership in that church. They needed to take leadership in that church. Of course, they needed the Holy Spirit to do that. So in case they missed how serious Jesus was, he gives him this warning. He says, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to come to you like a thief in a time you won't know when that's going to happen. I mean, it's going to be a surprise, like, like a thief in the night. Now, he's not talking about the rapture here. He's not talking about the second coming. Um, it could kind of, people go, oh, well, it's Revelation. Well, no, he's not. That's not what this is talking about. The thief has the idea that a thief comes and he takes something away. And so he's not taking away their salvation. He's taking away the, the church. He's taking away the... Sardis wouldn't have a church anymore. That they would... Maybe the few would have to go find... Go over to Pergamum. Or go over to... What are we doing next week? Philadelphia. Right? Something like that. He said, you won't know the hour. Well, why wouldn't they know the hour? Because they're not awake. They, they're... If they don't do these five things, what are they doing? They're still asleep. They're still not listening. They're still thinking they know better than God how life and church should go. Well, also, Jesus always likes to take this stuff that we're talking about, and he wants to let us know what's happening in the future. What, what is it that if we stay faithful to God here, what is it that we can just hang in here because of what we're going to get? And he describes it this way for this church that they will be clothed in white garments. And that's just symbolic of the fact that we are in Christ. When you place your faith in Christ, and ask God to forgive you of your sins, he takes your sin, and he puts it on Jesus. This is Romans 6. And then he takes Christ's righteousness, and he puts it on us. Not that we're perfect. We don't go walking around like you know, super Christians. No, what God sees when he sees us is Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. It's given to us, accredited to us. And so we are in Christ. And so we, it's symbolic of these white garments. He says, I will not erase their name from the book of life. And so God has books, and Revelation talks about this at the end of, the, of Revelation, but his name would not be removed from the book of life. Why not? Because he's a true believer. I'm talking to the security of that. They can't lose their salvation. They are saved, and he is not going to remove their name. So they can be faithful here. Do what I've called you to do. I've got you covered. And then the last thing he says, I will confess the overcomer's name before God and his angels. Which, you know, it's just a kind of a cool thing to know that, that Jesus is actually talking to God about me. He's confessing. That, that, that Harold, that's, that's one of the people I saved. It's kind, of, it's kind of, I mean, again, it's not me, right? It's Jesus who did it. And so I said, well, thank you, Lord. That, that's awesome. It's kind of what he talks about in, in Matthew 10. Because this is, again, what true believers do. Jesus is saying, therefore, everyone who confesses me, Jesus, before men, and let, the, they'll let people know that follow Jesus, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. The opposite 
is true. A person who doesn't confess Jesus is showing that they're truly not saved. And Jesus won't confess them before the Father. John wrote this letter in 95 AD, which is five years before the end of the first century or before the beginning of the second century. History tells us that evidently this church did not obey because uh, into the second century, um, Sardis, as well as the church, disappeared. They no longer were of the city was no longer viable. It just kind of went by the wayside and the church disappeared. They, they chose to not wake up. They chose death over life. And so Jesus closes with this challenge to all churches. Everybody who reads this letter, including us today, that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're here this morning and you say, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, then hear what Jesus is saying through God the Holy Spirit to your heart and your mind. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying. And then the hearing is obey. So let me just close out with our takeaways. And so the first, the question I have for you is, where would you be on this pie chart that I showed earlier? Be honest. You don't, have to, don't answer. I mean, just you and your heart. Are you um, one of the 10%? Are you here and you don't really believe it? You're here because your spouse wants you to be here, or your, your children want you to be here, or your parents want you to be here, but yeah, not really, not really buying it. Maybe you're one of the, a true believer, which would be awesome. You know it, you're, you're seeking Christ, and you're not perfect, but you're, you keep on pursuing Him and keep on growing spiritually and getting more involved and understanding what He wants for you. Or maybe you're a believer, that you're here this morning, and that believer is kind of a person who's realizing maybe this morning, okay, man, I'm not a believer. Or it's a person who is a true believer who realizes, yeah, I just have not been doing it the way God wants me. I've been asleep. And so our takeaways fly off of that. And so the first one, if you're here this morning and, and you say, yeah, I'm an unbeliever, or maybe you've come to the terms for thinking you're a believer and realizing you're not, then the takeaway for you this morning is to receive that spiritual life that God wants to give you through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's simply ABC is what we talk a lot about around here is you would just admit. Admit that you've sinned against God, you've broken his laws, and that you're separated from him, and you want him to forgive you of your sins. And then you believe, you put your full weight of trust on the fact that what he said Jesus did on the cross, he did for you. That Jesus took your sin on himself and took God's wrath for you. And then you just confess that. You say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned against you and I'm separated from you. I know I need your forgiveness and I want to trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. And at that moment, he forgives you of your sin. He places God, the Holy Spirit in you, who gives you a spiritual life, who takes you through this life and, and into the next. So here's what I want to do. Just go ahead and close your eyes. And uh, I haven't done this in a long time and Clark and I were talking and we're like, you know, we haven't done it in a long time. And I think, well, this is a perfect passage to do this. So if you're here this morning and you've realized, man, I, I need a relationship. 
with God. I need to have spiritual life. I've been trying to get to God through all sorts of different ways, but not through his son, Jesus. Then here's what I'd like to do. I just want to pray a quick prayer that you can pray. Your heart to God's heart. You don't need to pray it out loud. Just your heart to God's heart and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. But I also know and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He took my eternal judgment. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins, to give me spiritual life, because I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone, for salvation. Now just keep your eyes closed. If you've, if you've prayed that prayer, now if you've prayed that prayer in the past and you were sincere and you meant it and you just kind of drifted away from the Lord, there, there's no need to pray that prayer again. But if you're sitting here going, I wasn't even sure what I prayed back then, or you know, right here, right now, I know. If you've prayed that prayer, just slip your hand up so I can see it. Thanks, appreciate that. Anybody else? Just slip it up. Thanks. Anybody else? Heavenly Father, I just want to pray um, for those that have placed their faith in you this morning. Lord, I, I don't know what their history was. I don't know what their church background is. I don't know if they've prayed this prayer before or not, and if this is the first time. Whatever, Lord, you know. And So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what you say he does, and that is to confirm with our spirit, Romans 8, that he that we are a child of God. And I pray you would confirm that in their, their life. I pray that they would begin to then grow and be into your word and being here and, and all that we've talked about today. I pray things, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and open your eyes. Uh, go back to the last slide. And so maybe this morning you're sitting here, again, if you're a believer and you realize you're not a believer, I just prayed a prayer and hopefully you prayed that prayer. But if you're truly a believer, then you need to do what we just got done talking about. What Jesus has told the church, you are a person, a member of his body, the church, and so you need to do those things. And then lastly, if you're a true believer, keep faithful. Keep going back to what we've heard and received. Day in, day out. Be in God's word. Be in prayer. Be here on a weekly basis, working together, serving together, worshiping God together, learning together. Let us, your church family, encourage you and take you through those difficult times. Get involved and serve your church. Continue to serve your church. And continue and find ways where you can share Christ with those in your life who need Him. That's what a true believer does. That's where vitality, spiritual vitality comes as God's Spirit works in, th- in us and through us to impact others. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning and again for your word. So clear and in some ways so simple, yet Lord... We're, you know us, and you know that it's difficult for us at times to give up um, the control of our lives. And really, that's what the, our life is all about, just continually seeing areas in our life where we're not, where we're trying to, to be the God of our life. So, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the spiritual life you offer. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, that uh, you give us opportunities to represent you well. I pray you'd keep uh, everyone safe. Bring us back next week to worship you together in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of the day.